So, of course, my number 10 pick for the 24 hours of Daytona went a little bit tits up. But hey, what can you do? Welcome to the Rolex 24 hours edition. And that's our show. We'll see you next week. Sayonara. <laughs> now i regret to inform any headphone users that you have now died oh <laughs> my headphones oh welcome to episode 496 of motorsport 101 where that intro literally had people in our audience choke on their ice cream this is not a joke <laughs> this actually happened. So apparently, before I was so rudely interrupted, this is going to be a review of the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona. Sort of. Now, full disclosure on this show, it is January 31st. Um, it's a Wednesday, well, as we record in this. And uh, we'll get into some very startling breaking news which we'll address very very shortly but first let's go around the panel first of all of course coming back from daytona himself i don't i hope he had a great time out there doing the thing it's rj o'connell hello mate how was daytona this year for you um daytona was really really special like I actually went into this event thinking, well, this is not the first year of a new top tier prototype class. So I, I don't I don't really see like, could they really grow upon this? Am I worried that like maybe there might be a dip in terms of like crowd energy, crowd attendance in general? And, and no, no, there was not. In fact, uh, it the Daytona International Speedway announced that this is the largest crowd for the Rolex 24 they've ever had. Now, granted, that comes with an asterisk because they don't actually announce solid number figures to this, but I'm inclined to believe them based on the experience that I had at the gridwalk before the race. Mm. My God, it's crowded. I, I mean, I'll take the slight inconvenience of not being able to move anywhere, having to like push through people to like take pictures of cars before the race, before I have to scramble back to the media room to actually do my job. But like, hey, if that's the worst I, I experience I have, with like crowds at a race golly we're in a good place right now that's the general overall vibe that i got off the race this year which i'm sure we'll talk about more later on in the show but that's the attendance seemed to be really good there seemed to be a genuine buzz in the air um i know imsa gives away a, a ridiculously high amount of access for your dollar which is always fantastic to hear in motorsport um so no really really glad to hear that the worst of it was a bit of congestion um and that's uh, a surprisingly high amount of people showed up which is never a bad thing in motorsport sometimes but uh yeah that's always a plus also i think the, me, I think the worst thing actually might have been from the editorial desk when we thought we got a picture of brad pitt hanging out incognito as an imsa marshal and it turns out it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> how unfortunate but uh also joining us and he's totally not ridiculously smug that his beloved number seven porsche came through and took the overall win it's cameron motherfucking buckley he's literally posted the w on camera because this is not a visual medium um yes yes i i, I thought this was going to have to come with another listen warning for our earphone listeners um no get fucked 
<laughs> what you the fraud the fraud allegations have been beaten <laughs> and that wasn't even the car i picked my pick won by default of our three because my car finished Oh, Jay, he's even more insufferable than I thought he was going to be. So help me out here. <laughs> uh, I, I can't really. I genuinely thought this was going to be the Ganassi Cadillac's time Why? to reverse the curse. Why would you think this? Because, because Why would you think this? We had we had supporter of the show, Zoe Hamilton, having a crying breakdown in the middle of the night as Our that fa- car breathed its last breath. Car fast and the other one of those lasted all 24 hours. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, yeah, that's uh <laughs> look, I picked the number 10. It exploded. It came down with a mild case of explosions. It can happen to the worst of us. Um as soon as I realized uh, a friend of the show and Discord member Toki, who he calls himself the M101 Heaven, picked that car. I was like, well, shit's fucked. Um well, so- apparently I was not present for this, but it was being discussed. That car's chances were being discussed as it was coming back from a puncture. Yeah. And seconds later, it exploded. Kaboom. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Of the three of us that made picks, only one of us had a car that actually finished. And of course, it was, of course, the Porsche number seven one. So, of course, Cam's going to be smug as a motherfucker in about for the next hour or so. I can't really detect the smugness because he couldn't go out and buy his victory cigar like he planned before the show. Yeah, very yeah god himself has actually um prevented me from coming on here with the henny and the victory cigar well, god also gave us snow boots for a reason pal <laughs> i mean is frostbite worth it i don't know i think so i think I, frostbite I, is worth a bit you could be I, I, the coldest you literally coldest motherfucker on the panel <laughs> yeah you did you did indeed you you, you said it but before we get into the Rolex 24 um, and breaking down what we all thought of it, as mentioned, we had some breaking news come through to this well, afternoon. Before the show? Before, before the show, for, for once. once. For once, we actually got it in early. Um, yeah, and it was the news that I think a lot of us were kind of anticipating, but it still sucks to actually read in person that Formula One has rejected um andretti's proposal to join the formula one grid in 2025 or 2026 um as an entrant um they they came up with a whole list of reasons the which you know we could break down for the next 10 minutes but we'll get into it a little bit in this discussion anyway um in the last few minutes they've also released a statement of their own Mm. which essentially boiled down to that way we strongly disagree with this we think we got something here they said quote andretti cadillac has reviewed the information formula one management limited has shared and strongly disagree with its contents andretti and cadillac are two successful global motorsports organizations committed to placing a genuine american works team in f1 competing alongside the world's best we are proud of the significant progress we have already made on developing a highly competitive car and power unit with an experienced team behind it and our work continues at pace. Andretti Cadillac would also like to acknowledge and thank the fans who have expressed their support. End of statement. Um, gents, I think we all kind of saw this one coming. I think deep down, I think this is what a lot of us were anticipating, but it still doesn't suck any less to hear it confirmed. I was genuinely thinking that this would be a little bit different now that they had proof of concept of a car ready. Um, I think we'd just be rehashing a lot of the same points. 
Uh, I, I know I certainly would be rehashing my, a lot of my same points. I am a 20-plus year Formula One fan. I'm probably like one of the two or three people in my smallest Alabama town that was watching Formula One as a child back then. Uh, I have always been the guy that is just like, I stand up for Formula One because I was the only guy because I didn't have really have access to F1 fan communities at that time. You know, that, that was it for me. That was the peak of motorsports. And I've always been a guy who was like, in this case specifically, it's not that I really like want Andretti Global to be the, specifically to be the Eleven team. I am just a big, let's get more teams on the grid. 10 is not enough. 20 grid slots has not been enough. It has never been enough. Uh, and they refuse to acquiesce because Formula One, a sport that is making more revenue than it has ever, is crying broke because they don't want the line not to go up because it's more profitable for them to just pay 10 teams than it is for 12. And it stinks. It's anti-competitive. You tell me all the reasons about how you understand it's the way it is. I don't have to like it. I think it's bullshit. I'm genuinely wondering now what comes next. Cam? Uh, copy and paste RJ's statement. <laughs> uh, like, honestly, like, same deal. Not a lot of people in my town want... Look, I have a, I have a local short track literally 10 minutes that way. This is not an F1 town. So a lot of the same deal. And well, if an established name with significant sponsorship backing works manufacturer support and willing to pay any anti-dilution fee that Formula One sets out in front of it is not allowed in, who will be? And I think that's exactly it. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what kind of backing you have you're going to bake that, those 10 teams into F1 and you're going to leave them there regardless of what value they do or do not bring. I don't think so much as fans, we have a position to say, oh, well, uh, V-Carb does or doesn't, Haas does or doesn't. But yeah, it is, my, thing, my thing throughout all of this which is, is what that we've seen, the minnows we've seen a are, lot of that today. The minnows are not the problem. Like, the minnows are not the problem. The problem is, and we see this in NASCAR because NASCAR has a franchise model with the charters, is that the only thing that the franchise really benefits are the teams that don't need the franchise model in motorsport because nobody in the NASCAR likes a charter. It's the reason why Dale Earnhardt Jr., who... Everyone knows who Dale Earnhardt Jr. is. Everyone wants to see him have a racing team in cup. And the man isn't going to put up that kind of money because it just isn't worth it to try and pry a charter away from one of the big teams to actually sell it. That's the we're thing. Looking like at, we're looking at the same thing over in F1. And it's predictable, but I'm no less disappointed. I agree. Dre, do you feel like Formula One is already at the point where it's just like what they're building is not sustainable. Because I'm starting to think that it is. I don't know whether or not it's sustainable. I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, and it's hard to say what's going to happen. I don't think anybody could have predicted the spike in popularity and value that it got in 2019 and 2020, 2021, that sort of uh, pandemic the fact it came back reasonably quickly, the DTS bump, whatever you want to attribute that to. 
I, I don't know whether that's sustainable long term or not. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to predict. I'm like, you know, I can't. It's it's impossible to say. You never know. If what we could happen. see the future, do you think we'd be doing a motorsport podcast on Wednesdays? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, but at the same time, I mean, the way I see it, yeah, the it, it's Liberty wants its American franchise money. And look, I've, I've been arguing with people about this on social media today because a lot of people were very quick to point out teams like, oh, well, Haas wouldn't make it now. Well, F1 wasn't worth $17 billion eight years ago. And that's yes. the problem. You but know. then when you look through that statement and a lot of what was said, FOM oh, yeah. is right in some key areas. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest one being that you know, we know what Andretti is as an organization, but they're building an F1 team from scratch. The expectation really isn't for them to be competitive out of the gate. But you never but know when, what you never know right. what you get until you let them on the grid. Like, yes, Andretti could be less an, that, RJ. I think it's more when they cite things like, "Why would we let them in?" Jumping between regulation sets. Well, that's exactly what Haas did. That's yeah. exactly actually what Aston Martin did. That's Not the that they were a make. new team, but Aston Martin were in. A position of huge financial and technical upheaval, 21 to 22. Uh, I was was, was going to make that point that, like, Haas were in the exact same ballpark. They came in the year before a major regulation change and had to essentially develop two cars at once, and Haas was competitive off the jump. Um, The most competitive they ever were. Yeah, like they, they they were at their best when they first rolled up in F1 in 2015. So it's... Again, it's very easy for them to say, we don't think you're competitive. We don't think you're adding enough value. We think you're in it for yourselves rather than bringing what value to F1 does. But you don't actually know that until you let somebody in to have the chance to participate. And that's the closed shop nature as to what Formula One is right now. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not... like I've, I've always tried to be reasonable with this. To a degree, I get why some teams are defensive about this. I've got to. I keep the turkey this. ain't voting for the oven, right? And you've got to remember, forty percent of the current grid didn't almost didn't make it out of the pandemic. I can understand why they might be a bit nervous about their revenue being cut by potentially ten percent. On like that, that would stink. But I also think. You, you are letting go of an opportunity to have a bigger pie. And I think that is something that the sport if you, shouldn't be turning away the chance and opportunity of being able say, to do. Yeah, on, if Cam. you believe that General Motors, with their full weight behind a Formula One program, would not bring eyes, commercials, and sponsorship dollars into the sport, then you don't think anyone will. Yeah. And 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 that's like I read the arguments that Formula One management made about it. A lot of them are at best easily picked apart, and some of them are just straight up hypocritical as yeah. as to regards. Just, to- just say you don't want to pay money don't- to an eleventh team in the World Constructors Championship. That's literally all you have to say. Yeah, you you don't have to you don't have to give us the runaround and insult our intelligence because again, there are points where they are right. But yeah. there is far more in that statement where I just go, 
you're scraping the bottom of the barrel trying to find reasons to not put them in. And yeah, honestly, like the, the, like the facilities can't handle an 11th team. That's just such horseshit. They were all built for 12. wrong because they're built to have 26 cars on the grid. We know yeah. this. It's in the regulations. It's, it's, and and that's honestly, what makes a grade one track. Exactly. And, and, and for me, like anything beyond this, because I think that really is the crux of it. We're just going to be rehashing points that we've already made. I don't think this is the end of this. Whether someone lawyers up somewhere, I don't know how much of a case they will or won't have, say in maybe EU antitrust court, because it's very ambiguous on both sides. We say yeah. we'll add value. Well, we say you won't. Who's the party that proves that? I want to talk about a good race. Can we yeah. please talk about the 24 yeah. hours? Please. I, I want to talk about a race that shows what happens when you let as many people in. To the point that IMSA to did where it to, is actually a little bit detrimental. It's it's a little <laughs> bit oversubscribed, yes. And there were teams that got turned down off of an entry of a reserve list that we still haven't seen, but like all in all, it was still a very, very fun atmosphere to the point where even something as big as like Throwing the checker flag a lap early didn't really harsh the vibe. If anything, it was just kind of funny. Yeah. Well, should we, should we, should we talk about Daytona? Let's please, let's God, talk. get me out of F1 land. Let's talk about Daytona right after this. This is for the lead of the race, which could ultimately be the win of the Rolex 24. The British-born New Zealand-raised Tom Blomquist chasing Brazil's Felipe Nasser on the outside, coming to the trioval. Look at this, side by side. And Blomquist says, I've got you. And Nasser says, maybe they oh. split the GT traffic. Blomquist to the lead. Nasser trying to use the GT oh, cars as a pick. They almost got together, but Blomquist hangs on. Brilliant stuff. That Great was job scintillating. By, great job by Nasser as well. He didn't have the tire temperature. No, oh. he locks up in too deep. Controls it nicely. Shouldn't be a flat spot on that Michelin tire, but Nasser's still struggling to get the tire temperatures in We there. say the Rolex 24, but the Rolex 24 wasn't quite 24. Well, after 23 hours and 58 minutes, the Rolex 24-ish ended in relative chaos. With a Vassar Sullivan Lexus in flames in the pits in the final hour, the race came down to a 32-minute dash for the cash. With the Penske Porsche number seven, piloted by Felipe Nazar, going to head-to-head -head with the Action Express Cadillac number 31, piloted by Tom the Bomb Blomquist for the outright win. With just four cars left on the lead lap, despite two rounds of GTD traffic, and despite the gap never growing more than a couple of seconds between them, the race was called early by accident at the 23 hour and 58 mark, effectively with one lap to go. Checkered flew before the white, should have. And Porsche Penske, number seven, takes the overall <laughs> win. First, first win since 2003. The captain's first since 1969. Oh, so this would have been so much better if you were lighting up the victory cigar while doing this. Uh, I do want to. Yep. <laughs> so, so I actually got some very good insight, and this was left in the comments section of dot com from the gentleman <laughs> by the name of Brian Cobb, who said that the race communicator called white flag next time after the leaders, the seven and the thirty-one, had taken what was two to go but then shortly after stated that, quote, 
due to the time remaining, this would be the final lap. Seemingly, that message was meant to say next lap would be the final, but came across as this lap. The starter in the flag stand then copied checkered flag next time by. About a half a lap went by and the communicator finally realized and tried to correct and say white flag this time again, but the starter did not copy that message then threw the checkered flag the lap early. And you can actually hear that breaking down on IMSA radio because John Hinda and Jeremy Shaw recalling the finish were, were on entirely different pathways. Uh, Heindahl lately gets a lot of stick for, for being like unaware of what's going on at the track sometimes, even though he like, I would say at worst, he's like in his late stage Murray Walker phase. It's fair to say he's the voice of endurance racing. He's not always on the ball sometimes, but overall he's one of the best of the business. And, and he had it right because they, they had called, it was a crazy and chaotic finish. And the comma, the comma was doing all the heavy lifting and the comma <laughs> was not interpreted. Um, and well, okay. Thank Let's God. Talk. Thank about God it. it wasn't as close as it was maybe two or three laps prior, <laughs> because man, there would be a lot more. I think the best thing about this is as a bunch of sports car fans who have been very jaded towards <laughs> top class prototypes in the last five to six years who were just happy we got a really good race. We all just laughed about it. Yeah. The, I, I Actually, <laughs> I made this point on Twitter moments after the race was over. One, that Joe, that's the second fucky finish Joseph Newgarden has won a race in, in the last year. Um, and then the second part was where I, I, I specifically said, if this was Formula One, websites would have been created, grudges would have been called, Nick Knowles would have dragged himself out of semi-retirement to start leading conspiracy theorists, and toxicity would breed all over social media. Over here in the world of sports car racing, all we did was crack a few jokes about it. I know which crowd I'd rather hang around with. I'll, I'll tell you that for free. I'm glad we yeah. all were able to just have a big laugh at that one and uh, more than anything else. Maybe, mostly because it didn't really affect anything. Uh, thank God it didn't in that sense. But um, we kind of got away with one on this one and we all just kind of saw the funny side of it and just let it go. And I think that's actually kind of refreshing. Yeah. In yeah. and, and, and the thing is as well both the the front running cars still blitzed the final not scored lap to make sure they saw the body they made sure <laughs> i like this um no, it was funny i so i want to talk start by talking a little bit about cam's port a beloved Porsche squad because I think going into this year of endurance racing that the Porsche Penske Alliance had a lot to prove which is strange for the Porsche Penske Alliance when it was first announced that they would have something to prove but I think from people on the inside they feel like this should have been a lot better than it was in fact some people still think that like Maybe they still aren't where they should be operationally, and maybe the car was under Baton's first year. That's why I joked it's like Gran Turismo 5. Well, through steady understanding the car and some reliability-focused upgrades, none of it based on performance, we now have our spec two, and it's more the fruit. And two really strong cars, that has to be said, because it wasn't just the seven that was competitive. Like, the six yeah. was mm. also up in the mix up until they got 
multiple infractions for drivetrain parameter infringements. I mean, RJ, I have been watching endurance races for 20 years. I'm still mad about the 04 race when Tony Stewart wheeled that car until there was nothing left of it with about 18 minutes to go. I remember that too, man. That was my first, like, I stayed up for this endurance race because I, I, I was born and raised on a steady diet of NASCAR and more NASCAR. Oh, NASCAR drivers are doing, they turn right? What well, we should check this? this out. Yeah. Mm. And I will go to my grave with the anger about that race. This was one of the best sports car races I've ever watched. Top two or three, honest to God. This was, this was so good. Every class was competitive to a fault. Every class had pretty damn good BOP. Not perfect, mm-hmm. but very good. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Um, and ev- almost every class went down to the wire as the cars began to falter under a, a torrid pace this year in um, a couple of the classes. And the pace took its toll. Uh, sorry, Paul Miller Racing and the world's oh. most dangerous BMW driver. <laughs> And nowhere was that more prevalent than the battle for the overall. The statement of intent was there from lap one of this race when Felipe Nazar took it into second and lunged the hell out of the 31 into turn one. Mm. This was going to be a duel between the two factory Porsches run by Penske and the Action Express and CGR Cadillacs. Those were the cars that had the pace all throughout the test, all throughout practice, they were the protagonists. And so they blot, they they fought to a bloody stalemate for all 24 hours. Right. <laughs> and yeah. like, I, I distinctively watched this, and I watched most of this race besides getting some sleep. We got obviously. Dre to watch most of a 24-hour race again. About 15 hours worth. Yeah, I, 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 was enough. There for, I, was, I was there for plenty of this, and... I had a great time. Don't get me wrong. The company, our Discord server, is a wonderful place. Shout out to 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 our beloved cohort Ryan Ericking for streaming pretty much the whole thing overnight. Um, shout out to him. Shout out to the great community we have over there. I very much enjoyed. Shout out company. to King for for his contribution to the uh, to the discourse of the other thing we was talking about. But that's off the side. I want to talk about like mm. this race because like you talked about it being Cam this bloody war between. Wheeling Engineering Cadillac Racing and Porsche Penske Motorsport. And when I go through the race leader sequence by class, I think at about the back half of the, starting at about just before the end of the first half of the race, the 31, the 6, and the 7 almost exclusively hold the lead of the race. And some of that is, some of that is cars alternating the lead because for a time they were on different strategies and some of that was just the fact that cars were able to pass. Like, 78 minutes to go, Tom Blomquist sends it down the outside of the trioval on Felipe Nazar with what I thought at the time was going to be the race-winning move. Yeah, I mean, one of the best things we know that, um, let's say, the 31-wheel engineering Cadillac does not always have the cleanest reputation in imsa but fair play to all involved this was very clean very respectful and still just as just brutal between those three cars i mean for the last you said for the last 13 hours of the race 
the gaps between the sixth Porsche, which again was plagued with uh, what looks like some kind of driveline sensor issue that meant they were, they got hit, I think, four times for energy so, stint so they got a, consumption. Yeah, so they got a warning, then they got a drive-through, and then just as they fought to the lead, they got a 10-second stop-and-go penalty, and then just as they fought their way back to the lead again, they got another 10-second stop-and-go penalty. And that was yeah. about it, thankfully, but that really hurt their chances. Amazingly enough, they still finished on the lead lap despite that and despite Kevin Estra pushing way too hard and a set of cold tires coming out of the pits, locking you up know, and going off the horseshoe. You know, RJ, I love Kevin Estra a lot. He is he is as box office as it gets in sports car <laughs> racing. But he did, for that whole prior stint, the closest equivalent I can think of is Mark Marquez in a 2023 Honda. <laughs> yeah. Every time he went into a into the bus stop, sorry, Lamar chicane. It was less Kamui Kobayashi perfect rhythm between man and machine and more getting up on the wheel and telling the car, okay, here's what I'm about to make you do. And I mean, he had a slip angle that was um, a trajectory straight with the wall a couple of times exiting the bus stop. Now, is this this just a thing where just like the Porsche is like, characteristically it's hard to handle like it may be faster than because what you told me is that they were making identical lap times but in different ways well really this was this is as really the perfect case of bop that showcases a car's strengths but balances them together the cadillac was a piss missile through the first sector of the track first half of the second sector of the track where it's all the infield breaking into turn one um the the big nav8 lovely sound it makes yeah you know that has the big the pull up out of the corner and then as soon as the porsche um gets going it's much quicker it was quite a bit quicker in a straight line through some of the higher speed corners and around the oval and so first sector was always the caddy middle sector was pretty even third sector was always the porsche pretty much consistently and it ended up with these two cars basically unable to pass one another once the other one got by, whether it be pit cycle or under or overcuts out of the pits. Yeah, that that final that final 30 minute sprint summed it all up. Like it, it was a bloody stalemate. You you could see Blomfist getting closer in the more technical parts of the track, but on the trioval, Nazar was always nailing his exits where they mattered most and he was always inching a couple of car lengths in front enough to withstand any kind of attack. Because I'm with RJ. I thought Blomfist's pass with 70 minutes to go was the kill shot. I, uh, that was a stunning move in, into turn one, right. splitting, the, However, splitting the GT and coming through, but that last round of pit stops put him back behind again. <laughs> and there's a very good reason for that, and it was um, an X factor that Porsche had in their back pocket. The seven could always go an extra lap on a stint of fuel versus its sister number six and the 31. And I think they had a deficit. Uh, the 31 had a deficit of about three laps of usable energy, so that during that final pit stop to put on fresh boots and go for it for the flag, the seven team had three less laps of fuel to put in the car. That got them back ahead. And then that ability of the Porsche to get up onto the tri-oval and pull kept them ahead. And 
Shout outs to Felipe Nazar, Matt Campbell, Tom Blomquist, Pipo Durrani. Oh my God. Astonishing Dude. drives from all yeah. of them. Tens all round. Dude, it's, I, I need to give some people some flowers. I think first and foremost, if you're one of these people that thinks that Tom Blomquist's success in endurance racing is all entirely down to underinflated tires, please check yourself into a site because this guy went into a brand new team as the as the plus one the endurance cup driver the guy who you don't trust for the full season you trust him for the long distance races and the reason why because he has another job to do now and all throughout that last in i'm thinking well it's nice that tom blomquist is stepping up to the plate this late but i'm sure they're putting people at durani in the end then no blomquist was trusted to be the guy to take the car home to potentially win whether anyone likes to acknowledge it or not, is third straight Rolex in three years with two different manufacturers, which would have been a remarkable statement in the tech. Felipe Nasser, I always believed he should have had more success in Formula One than he got. And I thought, I've always thought that he's a supremely talented driver and performance like this, winning his first race overall, he got a class win earlier. Clutch. I mean, clutch, that, clutch that save, that save into turn one with about four or five laps to go. <laughs> on. <laughs> complete opposite lock on corner entry oh that was bold <laughs> got up on the wheel got it back under control both of them worked traffic brilliantly i get maddie campbell i said it back in the, when he won bathurst at the porsche he climbed into that car a boy and came out a man matt campbell <laughs> and he is like... still and he is still him campbell was the iron man of that race really wasn't he the amount of shifts he was pulling through the night and in the early morning just lap after lap of brilliant pace matt campbell i mean Campbell surely is a nominee for, for for MVP of this race. He was right up there with just phenomenal consistency. And you look at it on the lap time chart of average lap times, those three um, were the stars of this event. And this was a return to form for both of these protagonists. And Action Express, who have not featured in the Daytona 24, really since they won this race back in 2018. They have mm. not been much of a factor um and it, remember it was not the 31 car that won that race it, it was, was the five it was, was the five it's not the same five that we have now it was a different it's five actually group. two fives with that exact same sponsor ago but it was that did the same team um and really this was the team that ruled the interim period when the unified unsplit american sports car championship walked back out of the water onto land. They were one of those defining teams. And this was, you know, they've racked up titles. They've won a couple big ones, but they have not won the big one. Mm -hmm. And they were just, I mean, track track record holders and maybe a safety car away and a strategic decision away from the win. And for Porsche, well, what a difference a year makes. They come into last season with more test miles than anyone else. The prohibitive favorites going into the race and bevy of technical failures. Yeah, all the testing they did was not enough, apparently. And yet this was a return to the Penske and the Porsche of legend, whose wards would bend to the very limit, but never break. And indeed... A 13-hour knockdown dragout fight for a race win where it was never more, much more than 10 seconds between the 7 and the 31. Yeah. 
was a wall. Oh, it was yeah. so good. It I was so good. I was genuinely surprised, like, coming out of this race because there were a lot of people in the media center who, like, do these races for a long time thinking, well, this was a boring race for most of it, and I didn't see it that way. Me okay, neither. Yes, like... And I, I think people were conflating passing with racing. Cue the Tony Stewart in post-race interview. Um, just shredding a journalist talking about passing the racing. Yeah. There was a lot of stalemate. There was a lot of tension. There wasn't mm-hmm. a lot of cars go back and forth. There wasn't a lot of that. You know, but, but like, generally speaking, in a 24-hour race like this, there would be a lot of races where, like... Phew, kill to have action this close for this amount of sustained time in the race and, and to that and on, on the Porsche side of things um, I don't think looking back at it like you know Dan Cameron and Joseph Newgarden shifts will not be the most Joseph Newgarden got the easiest role S that I think anybody yeah, Joseph. Would, <laughs> why has your boy forgotten how to turn right in the last year and a half I don't, I don't what's happened like Joseph said, Joseph said, like, I spoke with him before the race and, you know, he laid out just like the, the contrast and driving styles between his day job where you just have to thrash the thing at 10 tests to make it go fast and a Porsche 963, which you really have to drive within the limits. I don't know what's going on there. I don't think, though, that I can begrudge Dan Cameron for taking it easy because here is a guy who has been a lifer of American sports car racing for 15 years years he has seen it all but this he's won it all but this until now until now and the other thing as well his stint was most of his time was in a period where the track was slower that does skew sometimes um across the grid what could have been for the 10 and the 01 because well it's safe to say i don't think acura was repeating their uh tremendous winning streak at this race they had they had an opportunity to get four in a row um which really just goes to highlight something else that really impressed me that like the number 40 car that's jordan taylor back home louis delatraz colton herta and some guy named jensen button who by the way also had one of the easy lightest work of a 24-hour race you can think of but that 40 car is essentially an expansion team. Yes, they have top-tier drivers, and and yes, it's WTR with Andretti, but it's like a whole new crew built around this team. So for them to get third place out of this and like get stronger and stronger as the race went on, that's a really solid effort for them. Yeah, Col- Colton Herter was one of the real MVPs of this race as well. Colton Herter put in some By work far in that 40 the car. Acura driver. Ooh, yeah. It's, um, it's astonishing. It's just like... This is the Colton Herta that gets The problem is, guys, is that during the final stints, it was like him leaning forward in the chair, like, go faster, as the like the 7 and the 31 took off and dropped him like a bag of dirt for that final stint. Just just didn't have the car underneath him, but Herta and Delatraz put, put in really, really solid shifts in that number oh 40 car. Louis, Louis uh, Delatraz has been such a... God he was he was genuinely excellent. Unfortunately, the spirit of punished Shank reached back <laughs> up through the depths, through the illusions of life and death. Come here, boy, and and uh, ripped the heart out of the ten car going into the night. Catastrophic wiring loom failure with uh, Philippe Albuquerque at the wheel, and that was their challenge over. 
it's never God a good it. sign when in endurance racing where getting the car going again is everything philippe albuquerque immediately opened the door and walked away dude oh, car yeah, was like, completely dead stick um, shit's fucked <laughs> and, uh, and on the subject of shit's fuck the zero one cadillac again the in this fast, continues dude, I, I i really thought and i i still believe i want to see i want to see how sebring pulls out before i really that's where the curse began last year yeah <sighs> this but, was uh, just brutal because they were quick they, they were, were leading last early on, on. Early on, it was initially, initial stint, it was 31 and 01, and then a gap to everybody else. Really, that that restart, about when night fell, when there was no more sunlight, is when the Porsches, the Porsches really threw down the gauntlet. Mm-hmm. But 01, very quick, and then a puncture with Scott Dixon at the wheel, the car was never really the same after that. They lost about three laps overall to that issue. And then as they're getting cautions, they're getting back into contention and some catastrophic driveline failure ended their day period. The car and that was never seen again. At least the 10 went back out to claim the O1's position. Yeah. And then eventually did get retired um, within the final hour of yeah. the race. Yeah. Uh, can I just say Alex Polo is a goddamn alien. Dude, Alex Polo might have just driven himself in the future, like Ganassi Cadillac rides, because hey, they've got a third seat open. Are we going to have to retroactively give the 2023 drive of the year back to Alex Polo? The man hasn't. The man hasn't touched a prototype. He comes in. He's the second fastest driver in that car. Hey, hey, he, he did touch a DPI, but this is a whole different animal. Motherfucker, I tried to tell the pair of you on this. God damn it, I tried at the awards show, but no. Look, Alex Polo was in the top 10 for fastest drivers on average overall. That is remarkable for a guy that has never driven these cars before. Two things. On average, he annihilated full-timer Renger van der Zanda, who did not have a great race. He didn't have a great race, but I also feel like, you know, he didn't have the opportunity to get one because he was in the car when it broke. Mm. He also annihilated Scott Dixon, who's been doing this race for um, 20 years. Yeah. What is he? Um, he's one of the best drivers of our generation, and uh, I would not be surprised. This is not me giving away anything, but like, I would be shocked if Cadillac Ganassi is not considering, like, we have an open seat for our World Endurance Championship car. Uh, we're running two drivers for a lot of our shorter races, but for the longer races, and especially Le Mans, Alex Polo really should be up for consideration to round out that lineup. That boy's a freak. should. He's a freak. Um, uh, he looks like he's never driven of... this car before, and, and, he, and he was top 10 overall in pace, and he was qualify he, he, if he if he did qualify the car i mean boy he did a phenomenal job in that aspect but his overall pace through practice was up there with the very best of them um he's an actual which is terrifying um, for, for what he already and, and, and is not just th- <laughs> and, and not just that as well um yeah we had only just mentioned him in passing sebastian bourdais Shift. is still him yeah, and in that opening stint, he was making shapes in that car. 
Um, hopefully a bit of a return to form because Sebastian Bourdais was hot and he was cold last year. Yeah, he yeah. was hotter than fish grease for this race. On yeah. average, on average speed, second fastest of any Cadillac out there behind behind Blomquist, who we all know was astonishing um, in this race. Bordet yeah. was right there with him. Um, Shout yeah. out to our friends at the B Pillar for these numbers. Uh, yeah. Again, we realize the lap time averages are not everything results results. I mean, look at BMW's race, for instance. Um, yeah, it was the reason look- we didn't really mention them in uh, GTP. <laughs> All I'll say is it was better than last year. Yes. But the bar was resting somewhere below last year's race. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I will be very curious to see how WRT gets along with this car starting next month in Qatar. And, and the Dries and Rene were great. Yeah. Dries and Rene were Dries great. Vantor is box office again in a car that uh, I'll, I will say the BMW on corner entry. I don't know about that eye test. <laughs> um and also the two Porsche privateers, Proton Competition Mustang Sampling and JDC Miller Motorsports. They drove relatively clean races with minimal stakes and got to the checkered flag with solid results. And that's always something nice to build upon. Uh these are teams that are less than a year old in terms of their car development. In the case of G- JDC Miller, we know that it is a it is kind of this bag of misfit toys where you have a veteran driver who was discarded from his old team, a young driver who's very much a project, a guy who's been paying his dues in LP2, and, and Ben Keating just going out there for the hell of it because he wants and to have you know fun. All the, really, all things considered, Ben Keating ain't half bad. Oh, ben Keating was very, very respectable. For a bronze 52-year-old part-timer, that was an effort from Ben Keating. Like, like does I know he car, was lost everybody, but... Car dealership commercials swinging around a lightsaber. That's, oh, his, that's his day job. That's his day job. He runs 29 car dealerships. And that, that's, that's his full-time job. He races for fun, and he was the only bronze in the LM... Sorry, in the GTP field, and he was more than respectable, um, yeah. all things considered. That is, like, again, I, I, I can only tip my hat to how not... Not only how dedicated Ben Keaton is, but just how open he is about the whole experience and the fact he jokes about it on Twitter half the time to people. He's a fantastic asset and advertisement for sports car racing, and I've got, I've got nothing but respect for big Ben Keaton. I, I, I love how he gets down. I think he's phenomenal. Yeah. Lo- love it, him. It's <laughs> astounding how this race may achieve race of the year, best on-track fight, and golden cock all, all at the same once. time. <laughs> Like, I, th- I don't think it'll win the golden cock because I think there's something that's, I mean, hell, F1 might get it for Andretti the way we're going, this is the way we're going this year so far. But we put it in there for comedic sake because it was a goof up, but it wasn't a uber serious goof up. Well, I, I, I mean, should we get to like the, the other business section of the race? Because we've talked yes. a lot about the top class, but remember yeah. the beauty of endurance racing is that it's not just one race. It is multiple races at once. I will once. say this. We have gone beyond dentistry, evolved to a whole new level. We have escaped the orthodontists into the arms of the prostate examiners. (laughs) It's time to talk about LMP2. LMP2 was like... It was half fantastic and half an affront to God. Like, it really comes down to like just... 
a couple of drivers, but Sean Creech Motorsport in the first race in, in this category had a shocking, shocking bad time because when and when, that's before you get to the race because they had a Blue Lives logo on their engine cover. Oh, I'm going to if I if I speak, um, I just want I'm I'm only gonna I'm only gonna talk about the race objectively. So shit's Lance, fucked. Lance Wilsey made. Too many mistakes. He was wanting to be bold in how this car can gain an advantage because it is the Liget LMP2. It is not a slow car, but it has many, many weak points that make it less effective, less of a turnkey solution than the Orca. There's a very good reason why um, the Orca is the rest of this class and the rest of every other LMP2 class basically on Earth. Yeah, the reason why Orca Cup is a pejorative. Uh, the car was not terribly slow when you put guys in like Johnny Edgar, Nolan Siegel, Joao Barboso, maybe ancient, but he's still got still it. Still do but the like, job. Lance was making way too many mistakes out there, and when he wasn't, the car was breaking down, which sucks. This car was responsible for the overwhelming majority of our full course yellows. Five. Um, five. Five Between... portions that car was responsible for. Yeah, between directly offs, or indirectly. Yeah, directly or indirectly. Offs, battery failure, battery failure again, engine Full cover failure, engine cover failure. Got that. Got that decal off of there at least. Oh god, <laughs> it, it, it was a perfect representation of the Blue Lives Matter uh, movement. They, they um, totally spoke to us. <laughs> god. And then there is um, noted enemy of the state, Dennis Anderson. And the twenty, you, and the twenty enemy of, high class enemy of racing. your state. Enemy, enemy, enemy of, I'm, uh, you're still bitter about Road Atlanta last year. And I'm bitter about this. I'm bitter about this because this. dude, dude, flat foot, just fucking brap, brap, wrapped his way on corner exit, coming out of turn three, right into the front of one of our GTD Pro protagonists just, and killed their car within an hour of the start. Not just one of our GTD Pro protagonists, the reigning GTD Pro Series champions at Faster Sullivan Lexus. Conway Why does the no front of the Lexus keep coming off in one big piece over and over again? I tell you this, if there is a positive other than all drivers involved were okay, Gave us one of the great gifts from friend of endurance racing at large, uh, Vasa Solomon mechanic, Bozy Tatarovich. <laughs> I, I feel so bad for him because he, he is such a gem on the socials. He's always willing to share his insight. And he's a great guy. He is, he is so fun to talk to um, just about anything. Um, and dude was incensed. Yeah. It's one of the great react. We probably have our gift of the year out of that. But Dre, once mm. we got through all the mess, once those two cars were struck from the earth. Yeah, and also Stephen Thomas had a pretty scary hit. Which thank goodness for safer mm. barriers. Um, mm. Dre, the race really turned into uh, just the kind of stuff that we got last year out of LMP2 when you put in like young, promising talents in the wheel of one of these behind the wheel of one of these prototypes you get magic just as good as the gtp cars yeah and you know again uh, i still love this the fastest man on average in lmp2 over this entire race was indie next champion of 2023 christian rasmussen 
I don't think anybody would have seen that one coming if he'd gone into the race beforehand. Rasmussen was sensational in this race. Holy hell. I had no... I, I had no... Look, I knew Rasmussen was reasonably quick from watching him in Indian X last year. I didn't know he was capable of that. Like, if he brings that to ECR next year, um, he's going to be one to watch in 2024, certainly. That was a mighty effort um, from him in the LMP2 class. Um, And and it was was an all-Danish affair at at the front of it because the the guy who was facing off against is Peugeot prospect Malte Jakobsen. Now, Cam, we all know the Peugeot uh, hypercar team has its own set of problems. Not brilliant. Um, that car, that car is beginning to grow uh, a variety of different arrow appendages. We've seen it in the uh, testing pictures. So, but, we'll but the point on. I want to make is yeah. that Malta Jacobson is a star. My editor in chief, Graham Goodwin, Graham Goodwin swears by his talent. So does my deputy editor, Sue Kilby, and the Christian you know, Rasmussen. You won't, was- you won't, you won't hear an argument from me. The dude is fantastic. the The issue is not him over there, and uh, yeah, I mean. That's the the frustrating duality of LMP2 is that when you have the pro drivers and there are a lot of them either refugees from lost programs. I mean, Colin Braun was is reduced to a P2 driver after How? winning this race overall last year. Well, because he was he was the one that got really done the worst out of the explosion by, out of, of the MSR, whole, the whole implosion of punished shank. Yeah. But, the talent in this class and the talent in all four classes is there. And when it comes to the four like this, I mean, we saw a three-way just bloodbath through traffic for the last five or six hours in LMP2. Dude, yeah. You could not separate those cars with a piece of paper at times. Yeah. It's, it's kind of sad that United Autosports fell off pace because that end, like, we, we talked about, like, what like happens the two, when- the two was a prohibitive favorite, and they just fell away. It's, yeah, it's strange. It. And to that end, like we talked about like what happens when bad Tremont's drivers happen. Ben Keating is the standard of that class. And he was again this time. Uh, but there's another driver I want to talk about in LMP2. And that is the second youngest class winner in the history of the Rolex 24. 17 year old Connor Zillich, who whose wow. diet of racing up to this point was short track racing around the uh, the north uh, the southeastern united states because he is a chevrolet sponsored uh, young talent mazamet's five cups the most exciting 45 minutes of motorsport scca <laughs> transam cars so he's never so this is by an order of magnitude the highest performance vehicle he's ever even looked at so much as driven he fit in perfectly it's like he's been doing this for 17 years, not that he's 17 years old. It, the best thing you can say about someone coming in who, who makes that big of a jump is that they look like they've been doing it for years. And he really like if if he wants it, if he can reproduce that going forward, he's going to have a long, long time in this sport. Chevrolet is going to have to think, is it better for him to climb the ladder to NASCAR or to climb the ladder to a Cadillac LMDH? Fuck it, Garage 56 and GTP. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Combine. You know, I was so, I was so happy that the I beams. saw it. <laughs> Should have cashed his money in the bank and entered as the 60th car in the race. 
but uh yeah lmp2 was honestly a lot of fun i want to take a step down yeah not in quality but in speed to gtd pro and this is where the really torrid pace of this race uh really took its toll only two cars really ran a clean run and for the first time finally Finally, Reese Competizione brings home a Rolex 24. Okay, technically, it is not their first Rolex 24. Okay, as partners in the dying, shitting remains of SRP as we entered the DP era. Yeah, which I I forget about. And that's the thing, because... Because no one remember, you know what the most memorable thing about that era in American prototype racing is in Grand Am, RJ? The fact that they were so bad, they let a GT car win this race three out of four years. Dude, it's, yeah. Porsche's last win in this race overall, as a car producer, wasn't with the 962. (sighs) It was with the 911 back in 03 when every prototype broke. I keep seeing that car pop up at like events because Adobe Road Winery still does pop ups every now and then. But to your point, Recent Competizione has always been the Ferrari team of North America. They are a North American racing team reincarnated. They were Sandra Barrett in American Le Mans series before reunification. They come in as part of the split. They've run full-time run programs. Lately, they've been part-time because they don't have the budget for it. But they've always been synonymous with Ferrari. They were one of the three, you know, generation-defining GT teams. It was them. The ALMS, because it was them. It was Flying Lizard. And it was the Vets. Yeah. Um, in, In the golden age of GTE and GTLM over here. And it's been very quiet for them the past couple years Mm -hmm. um it is a shame because i mean we we were in the pit with them back in petite lamar 2019 and the first thing is it's always the world is a better place when Reese competizione is at the track and i remember that i was remembering like asking having to ask question about like hey are you still going to be around next year like it's been tough for them but when they do show up they show out and in this race their quality showed out has never wavered and indeed, they just, they took the lead and they never let it go. Um, really, again, one of only two cars to run a truly clean race. And this is another notch in the belt of the 296 GT3, which just seems to be winning every GT3 race that runs for 24 hours around. Alessandro Pierguidi, James Collado, Daniel Serra, and Davide Regan give Risi Competizione and Ferrari together at last, their first set of Rolexes. And whatever problems were ailing the 296 GT3 this time last year, they have they been are... emphatically solved since. Um, <laughs> enough about that. Rexy! Rexy On gets the podium. On the podium in My class wife. debut. <laughs> AO gets second on debut in the class. Let's fucking go. Beautiful. This this comes after like they got a small BOP nerf. Like it's not it wasn't it wasn't a it wasn't a life changer. Even even me as Porsche Homer number one. Um it it clipped their wings a little bit. 
It wasn't yeah. bad. Yeah, nothing I, was I as bad as last year. Second place. Yeah, and then there's the rest of GTD Pro, which is it's anywhere just, from walking wounded to corpse, dude. Because the class mm. fell, the class completely fell apart. RJ. Yeah. So the two Pratt Miller Motorsport Corvettes, they were quick. Their issues were not terminal, but it cost them any chance of winning the race. We do they, need to expand on the three cars issues. <laughs> Um, they had Schrodinger's engine bay for about three hours as it <laughs> repeatedly lit itself on fire and then put itself back out. And supporter of the show, uh, Sasha Wagenblast, and I kept saying during the night, it's like, is that car leaking? It was. It, it, it was. That it was. And when you can see it up in daytime, it's, oh, oh, this car is smoking constantly. Yeah, just oil and, sprayed out on the back end of the car, which is already missing the brake light, by the way. Um, that's it. When it got knocked and they lost that brake light, it broke the oil tank a little bit. So oof. it kept dumping oil onto the hot exhaust, and then it would catch on fire, and then it would blow itself out at speed. So I think there's like five or six examples where they're braking into turn one. The rear of the car bursts into flames and then puts itself out. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and eventually car- Imsa's like, guys, your car's on fire. Please pit. Yeah, and it would have been all right since the four car was still chugging along fine until power steering problems. Uh, the Multimatic cars, the Ford Mustang GT3, how did it do in its first race as the new successor to the big mate? Well, well uh, um, they they're massive. Getting... <laughs> <laughs> you, you couldn't get away with it a second time, could you, Ford? Because they came into, oh, we were pushing flat out. Oh, I don't know why we've received this massive BOP hit, and then they spent a decent chunk of this race in the lead. Oh, they were quick. They were not the quickest, but they were quick. The car kept shedding its ass. Yeah, um, from what I understand, like a lot of the cars, like I know the '55 retired due to accident damage. Yeah, I know one of the fact the the Multimatic cars uh, also got caught up in an accident. Uh, Some of the bodywork was starting to peel off. There's potential that, that in these a couple cars. times. The the one of the cars actually went out the rear wing mount to the chassis. The actual point on the chassis failed, and the the wing was at um an egregiously skewed angle. So they did have to retire that car. But yeah, just a huge amount of attrition in a class with fairly established either cars or teams. My like boys on the get... number nine team. <laughs> uh, the McLaren, which uh, it did three and a half hours and said, that's enough for me and promptly grenade, promptly grenaded <laughs> its right front hub. And that was I about as good you, as it got for fast. Don't, don't back a team of podcasters because James Hinchcliffe and Alex Rossi were in there. Don't back a team of podcasters. Podcasters are yeah. terrible people. On the, subject of, on the subject of that, apparently, Cle- apparently Clem from Memeing Screels uh, tripped over like a hose in the pits and got hurt bad enough that he had to miss the race and Pietro Fittipaldi had to fill in. Yikes. What do I even have to say about this? I told you, <sighs> us podcasters are cursed. Oh, <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> please back us financially on Motorsport on Patreon da- forward slash Motorsport One Hundred One. You're damn right, because uh, we don't have to go out there in these elements. But like, and and the other car, I mean, the final hurdle for Reese to clear cleared itself because the number one Paul Miller Racing BMW just melted down in the last two hours they um, had um 
So they did a brake change and then they picked up a sheared rotor, which caused the right front wheel to start falling off. And then once they fixed that problem, uh, Sheldon Vanderlid also had to deal with an ABS system. And then, oh, by the way, he also locks it up into the horseshoe on cold tires and slides off. Oh, Still dear. got third out of it. Still third fun. out of it, out of a uh, a last man standing. Indeed. A little bit about GTD before we get out of here? Yeah. Um, so last year's story of the race in GTD was when we're racing. They get the pole, and then in the first day of practice, Lucas Hour has a bad crash that puts him on the sideline for a good chunk of time, including that race. Daniel Morad comes in the substitute. The team has to drive in a backup car from Texas just before the race to even get in, and then they're competitive, and then just in the last hour, Philip Ellis gets nudged into the same spot that Hour hit, and their race is done. What a heartbreak. Uh, and then... Before this latest BOP adjustment, you think they're not even going to have a chance to contend at that. And then even during the race, they weren't always the quickest Mercedes, but the one they lost last year finally came back to Daniel Morad, Philip Ellis, Indy Doncha, and Russell Ward of Windward Racing who get their second class win in four years at the event with Bowsett on the card. Bowsett, yes. So Rexy gets a podium. Bowsett gets a win. Mm-hmm. This is fantastic for internet meme culture. Oh, gosh, this is a yeah. win for us. This is a win for us internet weebs. Like this is a, this is a glorious time to be alive. Closing thoughts on the race, gents, before we get out of here. Ah, uh, banger! Go out of your way to IMSA. Will upload this in its entirety. Mm-hmm. Typically, what takes a couple weeks. NBC's got the highlights of it too. So, if, like, if you want to digest, if, if you don't want to like can. digest an entire twenty-four hours worth of racing, um, you have ways to watch this. If you're new to sports cars, please go out of your way to watch this. It is excellent. Um, it is going to take some doing to top this for my race of the year. Yeah, like this. What like? <sighs> Look. I- Gotta break one of my bosses this one. I thought this was a really good race. I know they weren't all that impressed, and they've done a lot of 24-hour races, but I think this was a good 24-hour race. If the worst thing you could say about it is, like, one LMP2 car kept shitting itself, and they flew the checkered flag too early, it wasn't all that bad. And, like, we're we're almost having to cut ourselves off, like, talking, because there's, like, a lot of other threads that we could go down if we got another hour to talk about this. Mm. And I think, thank, the the thing about the, the flag going out early as well, thankfully, the leads had spread out at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because at that point, I, huge breakthrough traffic on that lap in particular gave Nazar about a two and some change second cushion. Um... And as as mentioned by our friend and colleague, Ryan Eric King, for those who are bringing up a conspiracy about the check clearing from Roger Penske, please look up who owns the second place Cadillac. Yeah, yeah. Action Express <laughs> Racing, by virtue of being founded by Jim France, never is never entitled to any benefit of the doubt. And I'm one of those people that think that like people are too harsh on them sometimes. But right. I know they're never getting the benefit of the doubt when it comes to like, you know, are they getting home cooking from from race control or not? Well, in the words of race control, they're in the entertainment business.
and this was entertaining. I I am thoroughly, thoroughly sports entertained by this. This one was good. Um, The IMSA season picks back up in March with the 12 hours of Sebring, which I will likely be at. Hopefully it's not as much of a mess as it was last year. I mean, it was still a fun finish, but it was messy. Um, And if you don't want to wait that long to see cars like this go out there, World Endurance Championship starts next month in Qatar for the Qatar 1812. I know, I know it's Qatar, but, you know. What can you do? What can you do? We're not doing a WEC preview, by the way. We're saving that for Lamont. Big, 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 big bills only with our race previews. We got to economize. It's time for me to to have a cleanup operation here. First of all, yeah, wonderful race. I very much enjoyed this. You know, know, I'm the sports car skeptic of the three of us here on this show. I'm not making a beeline for sports car news or anything along those lines. I just take whatever's presented in front of me and see what happens. It was a wonderful race. Um, Incredible amounts of back and forth. It It was tense. It was entertaining. And with 90 minutes to go, business picked up. And it was a fantastic final fight for the win between Nazar and Blomqvist that went all the way to the end. And it was an absolutely delightful bit of action to watch. And and I thoroughly enjoyed every single minute of it. So go out of your way to watch it. I, I would I would highly recommend it from me. Um, hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Now, to clean up a couple of things real quick before we get out of here. First up... You may have noticed we didn't talk about a certain weekend of action in in Saudi Arabia this weekend with Formula E in Diria. Why is that? Noth- nothing happened. Like, yeah, it, th- this, a race this- occurred, and then we qual- <laughs> first qualifying happened, and then a race happened, and then qualifying happened again, and then another race happened. And that's all there is to say about them. <laughs> Honestly, we These don't cars like have to- a raceability issue. We don't like to force the issue on this show. There really was that little to talk about out of Formula E this weekend. It's, Jake so, Dennis, str- it's so strange. Yeah, like, like congratulations Dennis, to Jake Dennis and and Nick Cassidy for their yeah. races that happened. Yeah, and Cassidy's almost got an entire boat worth of points in hand already because he's been about the only consistent driver in the championship so far this season. But yeah, Jake Dennis dominated race one, one by 13 seconds, couldn't get anywhere going in race two when the track had a bit more grip. Mitch Evans tried and failed in race one to get on the podium, wasn't anywhere worth a damn in race two. Cassidy tried to launch a break in race two, couldn't do it, backed the wagon up and won because nobody could pass each other, basically. And it was, it was just two very boring races which didn't give us a lot to talk about from a narrative or action standpoint and we're not going to sit down and record a 45 minute podcast pretending like things are exciting because they weren't and that's really unfortunate trust me when i say uh sasha garlic they are a magician yeah and uh we got a lot out of mexico that probably we shouldn't have been able to yeah, it was even less in the drink this time around. Not it's not like having twice the number of races. There was half as much to talk about. We are not trying to be formidable one haters. We just are just perplexed that a series that not too long ago we were criticizing for having way too many empty calories worth of on track action now has, from what I understand, no on track action. More or less. 
Like, it's it, that's exactly how it is. Like, these cars can't race each other. The lack of grip is crippling them. They're too fast for the slower, more technical circuits that they race around now. And you got rid of one of the better ones you had last year in Cape Town. I mean, yes, maybe the ones on the more conventional tracks we're going to get later on in the year, like Misano and Shanghai, maybe that'll be better racing for what Formula E is now trying to achieve. But we've talked about their image problems and their raceability problems in previous episodes. If you want to go out of your way to find them, we talk about them in greater detail there. Sorry if you're expecting a Formula E podcast, but we're not going to force the issue on that one. And as we enter the month of February, uh, as we as this is it will be by the time this goes out um welcome to season preview season we're going to have episodes 497 to 499 preview all of the big three going into 2024 moto gp is up first next week after the sepang test which starts tomorrow as we're recording this um for three days very of interesting over there. going in there because we're going to yeah. see the we're going to see the tr- the final form the true form of some of these very funky weird aerodynamic laden bikes yes yeah we're going to see exactly what these 2024 bikes are cooking up it's the it's a genuinely representative test and we'll see how it goes down um on that one so we'll be doing moto gp first next week then likely formula one the week after that um and an indy car in the week after that and we've also got episode 500 coming very soon we might be right around the end of february so look forward to that as well um we won't tell you exactly what we've got planned for episode 500 just yet but it's going to be a fun a fun little look back that's all i'll say for now so that'll be fun um and uh yeah looking forward to that as well gonna be a busy february but uh, we're gonna get really cooking as the proper motorsport season kicks off very very soon but places you can find us we'll get before we get out because i didn't do it at the start of the show um if you could follow us on on elon musk's failed business investment at motorsport underscore 101 you can follow our personal handles there at harrison 101 sorry dre harrison 101 i should say at rj o'connell and at c buckley 917 you can check out our website motorsport101.com for more content more q a stuff more written articles all of that good stuff as well we're on instagram at motorsport 101 pod as well and if you really like us you can back us financially on patreon patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 early access to all these episodes in the five dollar tier you can upgrade to the ten dollar tier if you want to listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded as zoe and jason have done tonight thank you very much for listening in as ever guys much appreciated we'll be back next week with our 2024 moto gp season preview until then good night and uh thank you very much for listening i've been dre harrison they've been Joe o'connell and cam buckley until next time sayonara later y'all at this time that i would like to take the time to apologize for my two co-hosts <laughs>